Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparola. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, November 10th through Saturday the 12th feature guest conductor Harry Bickett and members of the Joffrey Ballet. The program includes Mozart's Symphony No. 34 and Le Tombeau de Couperin by Ravel. After intermission with the Joffrey Ballet, Wagner's Siegfried Idol, and a dance suite from Rameau's Platé. Here are Philip Huscher's program notes on Wagner's Siegfried Idol, a work lasting about 18 minutes. Although Cosima Wagner was born on December 24th, she chose to celebrate her birthday on the 25th. Her diary entry for Sunday, December 25th, 1870 reads, When I woke up, I heard a sound. It grew ever louder. I could no longer imagine myself in a dream. Music was sounding. And what music? After it had died away, R came in to me with the five children and put into my hands the score of his symphonic birthday greeting. I was in tears, but so too was the whole household. R had set up his orchestra on the stairs and thus consecrated our Triebchen forever. The Triebchen Idol, so the work is called. R is her beloved Richard, and two of the five children are Cosimas from her previous marriage to Hans von Bülow, whom she abruptly left for the man that even Hans, a talented pianist and conductor, admitted to being his superior in the world of music. The other three are five-year-old Isolde, Eva, three, and Siegfried, 18 months. Cosima and Richard Wagner's children all born before their marriage on August 25, 1870. Triebchen is the name of the house on a promontory overlooking Lake Lucerne, where Cosima and Richard made their home. Triebchen Idol is, of course, the Siegfried Idol, though it wasn't given that name for many years after the Wagners elected to publish their private musical communication in exchange for a nice sum of money. The secret treasure is to become public property, Cosima wrote in her diary. Richard and Cosima first declared their love for each other on November 28, 1863. Like all the important events in their life together and many of much lesser significance, it is well documented. At the time, both were married to others. She to Bülow, who was a student of her father, Franz Liszt. He to Mina Planer, an actress four years his senior, from whom he was estranged. The union between Richard and Cosima was consummated in June 1864. The following years brought artistic triumphs and personal scandals, as well as an astonishing mixture of private and professional events, including the birth of Isolde, Richard and Cosima's first child, on the very day that Bülow, still Cosima's husband, began orchestral rehearsals for Wagner's newest work, Tristan und Isolde. In 1869, after the triumphant premieres of Tristan and Isolde and Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg, Wagner resumed work on The Ring, which he had abandoned 12 years earlier, beginning with Act Three of Siegfried. In June, his only son, inevitably named Siegfried, was born. The following year, the Bülow's marriage was legally dissolved. Wagner's first wife, Mina, had died in 1866, and on August 25th, Richard and Cosima were married in the Protestant church in Lucerne. Wagner once called 1870 the happiest year of his life. Wagner composed the Triebchen Idol later that year to celebrate his private joys, 
the domestic bliss of married life after years of secretiveness and scandal, the long-hoped-for birth of a son, his undying love for Cosima, and the composition of Siegfried, which in turn promised the completion of The Ring, the single greatest artistic achievement in his life. It was designed to be performed on the steps leading up to Cosimo's bedroom in Tripschen, and its instrumentation was dictated by the size of the staircase. The first performance was given by 13 or 15 players. Regarding this detail, oddly, there is conflicting evidence. The piece was secretly rehearsed by the conductor, Hans Richter, who learned to play the trumpet especially for the occasion. The part is just 12 measures long. The Idol, an astonishingly beautiful and extravagant birthday gift from a man not always known for his generosity, was performed three times on Christmas Day in 1870. After the early morning wake-up call premiere, the household stopped for breakfast, the players then reassembled, and the piece was repeated, followed by the wedding march from Lohengrin, Beethoven's Septet, and yet another performance of The Idol. Cosima was used to hearing snatches of extraordinary music around the house, but she immediately recognized that the idol was unique in her husband's output. Wagner called the idol a symphony in the autograph score, and when it was published in 1877, he described it as a symphonic birthday greeting. He had struggled with symphonic form as a young composer. He remained fond of a very Beethovenian symphony in C that he had composed when he was 29 and continued to sketch ideas for other symphonies into his last years. The month before his death, he spoke to Cosima about a single-movement symphonic work in which melodies would flow into one another. The Siegfried Idol, this title apparently dates from a performance in Meiningen in 1877, remains Wagner's only instrumental work that is regularly played. The main theme is a generous and lilting melody sung by Brynhilde in Act Three of Siegfried to the words beginning, Ewig war ich, I always was, I always am, always in sweet yearning bliss. Wagner claimed that this music came to him during the summer of 1864 at the Villa Palette overlooking Lake Starnberg, where he and Cosima consummated their union. He is contradicted, however, by his own obsessive record-keeping. The melody was composed that November 14th when he was alone in Munich. A second theme, introduced by the oboe, is a lullaby Wagner jotted down on New Year's Eve 1868. The music is unusually intimate and restrained for a composer who lived a life of excess. It's the most personal of all his works. The title page of the published score refers to Fidi Birdsong and Orange Sunrise. Fidi was a favorite nickname for little Siegfried, and the sunrise was the incredibly beautiful fiery glow, in Cosimo's words, of the wallpaper in his room when it was struck by the morning sun. More than any other of Wagner's scores, the Siegfried Idol marries the private and public sides of the most famous composer of the 19th century. The Siegfried of the title is both the third music drama of the Ring Cycle and Wagner's son, who was destined to carry his father's name and beaked silhouette into the next century. Program notes by Philip Huscher on Wagner's Siegfried Idol. And now a word from choreographer Kathy Marston on Idol. When Ashley Weeter asked me to create choreography to Wagner's symphonic poem Siegfried Idol, I agreed before I had any concrete ideas about how I would interpret the work.
Most of my ballets are based on pre-existing stories. It's well known that Wagner wrote this piece in Switzerland, where he lived with his family in 1869, as a birthday gift for Cosima shortly after the birth of their son, Siegfried. He asked his musician friends perform it in their home, Triebchen, near Lucerne, on the staircase leading to their bedroom as she awakened. But beyond this, there is no clear narrative in the work. As it happens, I live in Switzerland with my family near Bern. Listening to the music repeatedly as I walk through the Swiss countryside, it seemed to me to capture exactly the landscape around me, the greenest of green leaves, deep blue skies, and mountaintops majestically towering over glimmering lakes. Of course, I had to visit Triebchen, where there is now a Wagner museum, and try to absorb the exact view that must have inspired this music. Yet, beyond tracing the music back to its source, what could I bring to this work, or perhaps rather bring out of it? The key for me was to focus on two words, family and home. My interpretation of this music has become a celebration of these things and is structured choreographically as if it were a visualization of a family day with all the twists and turns that that takes. I've chosen the title Heimat in part because Wagner wrote the piece at home in Switzerland for his family, and while choreographing to this music, my mind was often inspired by my own home in Switzerland where I live with my husband and two children. The German word Heimat has a deeper meaning than the English word home, however. A friend described it to me as somewhere you feel spiritually and even creatively at home, not just where you live or where you're from. And so, I felt that this title is also an acknowledgement of what Joffrey Ballet and Chicago have become for me. It's my third collaboration with the company, and I feel it to be just that, a creative home for which I am very grateful. Words from choreographer Kathy Marston and notes by Philip Husher on Wagner's Siegfried Idol. And now, on to a dance suite from Jean-Philippe Rameau's Platé. The work runs about 15 minutes. Jean-Philippe Rameau is one of the orchestral world's neglected masters. Although he is regularly acknowledged as one of the most important and influential composers of the French Baroque, modern symphony orchestras today rarely play his music. When the Chicago Symphony Orchestra performed Rameau's music for the first time in 1900, the program book painted him as a worthy companion to Bach, pointing out that when he died, all France mourned for him, Paris gave him a magnificent funeral, and in many other towns, funeral services were held in his honor. The orchestra played selections from his opera Castor and Pollux the next season, but Rameau's music was rarely performed again after that. From 1963 until 2006, his name did not appear on Chicago Symphony subscription programs once. A contemporary of Bach, Handel, and Vivaldi, Rameau was the greatest French composer of the 18th century and one of the giants of the Enlightenment. Like Bach, he was trained as a church organist and choirmaster. After working in the cathedrals in Avignon, Clermont-Ferrand, Dijon, he succeeded his father in the post there, and Lyon, he settled in Paris in 1722. That year, his treatise on music theory, the Traité de l'Harmonie, was published, and it proved to be one of the most widely studied textbooks in the history of music. Like Bruckner, another composer whose career began in the church, Rameau was a late bloomer. His success as a composer dates from 1733, 
When Hippolyte and Aracine, his first major stage work, was given a triumphant reception at its Paris opera premiere only six days after the composer's 50th birthday, it was not without its critics who found his style an affront to the tradition established by Lully in the late 17th century, and the score became the first musical work to be called Baroque in the critical sense of the word. Hippolyte and Arassi changed the direction of Rameau's career, and over the next 30 years he turned out another two dozen works for the stage, representing the many kinds of French dramatic music of the day, a number of hybrid forms that combine elements of opera and ballet. The late 1740s were the most productive time of Rameau's career, and between 1745 and 1749 alone he composed nine stage works. Plate was written largely in 1745 for the Dauphin's wedding festivities, which took place at Versailles that March. The theme regarding a mock marriage between Jupiter and an ugly nymph, Plate, seems oddly ill-suited to the occasion, particularly since the bride, the Spanish princess Maria Teresa, was herself famously unattractive, but apparently Rameau's delightful music and the riotously comic nature of the plot, highly unexpected in French opera at the time, charmed both the assembled crowd and the happy couple. Following that single performance, Plate was not performed again until it was given at the Paris Opera four years later with a revised libretto. It quickly became one of Rameau's greatest successes. Dance music lies at the heart of all Rameau's stage works and is effortlessly integrated into the action, not isolated as a special attraction as in later opera. Rameau's knack for writing lively, rhythmical music that naturally invites dance is readily apparent, as is his gift for generous melody. The suite of music from Plate, performed this week with Annabelle Lopez Ochoa's choreography, opens with an orchestral storm, orage, a reminder that Rameau's mastery of special effects, particularly in the weather department, is comparable to that of his one-time colleague, Vivaldi. The storm gives way to a series of dances, the airs for the happy and sad lunatics, a pair of passepieds named after a dance step, the pass foot, and two minuets, one in the major mode, the other in minor. After an animated pantomime number, two lively rigodons conclude on a note of good cheer. Notes by Philip Husher. And now a word from choreographer Annabel Lopez Ochoa on Plate. In this short suite, I have condensed the three-act opera, Plate, into a highly dynamic telling of the ugly water nymph, Plate, who falls for Jupiter's nasty prank. However, in this revisited version, I have allowed myself to change the tragic ending of the poor nymph, siding with the obvious victim and making them the unwanted hero of this Greek myth. Words from choreographer Annabel Lopez Ochoa and notes by Philip Husher on a dance suite from Ramos Plate. I'm Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening. Music